Chapter Nineteen of the Riddle of the Frozen Flame by Mary E. Hanshu and Thomas W. Hanshu. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Nineteen: What Took Place at the Pig and Whistle. It was a night without a moon. Great grey cloud banks swamped the sky, and there was a heavy mist that blurred the outline of tree and fence. And made the broad, flat stretches of the marshes into one impenetrable blot of inky darkness. Two men in ill-fitting corduroys and soiled blue jerseys, their swarthy necks girt about by vivid handkerchiefs, and their big peaked caps pulled well down over their eyes, made their way along the narrow road that led from Meryton Towers to Saltfleet Bay. At the junction with Saltfleet Road, two other figures slipped by them in the half mist, and after peering at them from under the screen of dark caps, sang out a husky, "Good night, mates." They answered in unison. The bigger, broader one whistling as he swung along, his pace slackening a trifle so that the two newcomers might pass him and get on into the shadows ahead. Once they had done so, he ceased his endless ear-piercing whistle and turned to his companion, his hand reaching out suddenly and catching the sleeve nearest him. That was Borkins," he said in a muttered undertone, as the two figures in front swung away into the shadows. "Did you see his face, lad?" "I did," responded Dollops with asperity. And a fine specimen of a face it were too. If I were born with that tacked onto me anatomy, I'd drown myself in the nearest pond before I'd have courage to survive it. Yes, it was Borkins, all right, Governor. And the other chap with him, the one with the black whiskers and the lantern jaw. Hush, boy, not so loud. Cleek's voice cut into the whispered undertone, a mere thread of sound. But a sound to be obeyed. I recognised him too," interrupted Cleek, my friend of the midnight visit and the plugged pillow. I'm not likely to forget that face in a day's march. I can promise you, and with Borkins. Well, that was to be expected, of course. The next thing to consider is. What the devil has a common sailor or factory hand to do with a chap like Dacre Wynne, or Meryton, for that matter? I never heard him say he'd any interest in factories of any kind, and I dare swear he hasn't. And yet, what's this dark stranger, as the fortune tellers say, doing, poking his nose into the affair? And trying to murder me just because I happen to be down here to investigate the question of the frozen flames. Bit of a problem, eh, Dollops? Frozen flames, country squires, dark strangers who are sailormen, and a butler who has been years in the family service. There you have the ingredients for quite a nice little mix-up. Now I wonder where those two are bound for. Pig and whistle, conjectured Dollops. Leastways that's where old Black Whiskers is a making for. Got friend Borkins in tow as well tonight, 
so things ought to be gettin' interesting. God, sir, if you don't look a fair cutthroat, I ain't ever seen one. Makes me blood run cold just to squint at you, it does. That there moustache'd get you a fortin on the stage, I swear. Mr. Narkom'd faint if he saw you, and I'm not so certain I wouldn't do a bunk myself if I met you in a dark lane, so to speak. How you does the expression fair beats me. Cleek laughed good-humouredly. The something theatrical in his make-up was gratified by the admiration of his audience. He linked his arm through the boys. Birthright, Dollops, birthright, he made answer, speaking in a leisurely tone. Every man has one, you know. There is the birthright of princes, he sighed. Your birthright is a willing soul and an unwavering loyalty. Mine, a mere play of feature that can transform me from one man into another. A poor thing at best, Dollops. But, hello, lights ahead. What is it, my pocket guidebook? Pig whistle, grunted Dollops in a husky voice, glad of an excuse to hide his pleasure at Cleek's appreciation of his character. Hmm, that's good. The fun commences. Don't forget your part, boy. We're sailoring men back from a cruise to Jamaica and pretty near penniless. Lost our jobs and looking for others. Told there was a factory somewhere in this part of the world that had to do with shipping, and have walked down from London. Took six days, mind, don't forget that. And a devilish long walk, too, I reckon. But that's by the way. Your name's Sam, Sam Robinson. Mine, Bill Jones. Our friends are ahead of us. Come along. Whistling, they swung up to the brightly lit little public house set there upon the edge of the bay. Here and there over the unruffled surface of the waters to the left of them, a light pricked out, glowing against the gloom. Black against the mouth of the harbour, as though etched upon a smoky background, a steamer swayed uneasily with the swell of the water at her keel, her nose touching the pierhead, a chain of lights outlining her cumbersome hulk. Men's voices made the night noisy, and numerous feet scuttled to and fro over the cobbles of the dockyard to where a handful of fishing-boats were drawn up, only their masts showing above the landing, with here and there a ghostly wraith of sail. Cleek paused a moment, drinking in the scene with his love of beauty, and then assumed his role of the evening, and how well he could play any role he chose. He cleared his throat and addressed his companion in broad cockney. "'Gold's truth, Sammy,' he said. "'If this fair don't look like a bit of home, ain't spotted the briny for a dog's age. Let's have a drink.' Someone turned at his raucous voice and looked back over the curve of a huge shoulder. Then he went to the doorway of the little pub and raised a hand with two fingers extended. Obviously it was some sort of sign, for in an instant the noise of voices dropped, and Cleek and Dollops slouched in and up to the crowded bar. Men made room for them on either side as they pushed their way in, 
eyeing them at first with some suspicion, then, as they saw the familiar garments, calling out some hoarse jest or greeting in their own lingo, to which Cleek cheerfully responded. A little to the right of them stood Borkins, his cap still pulled low over his eyes, and a shabby overcoat buttoned to the neck. Cleek glanced at him out of the tail of his eye, and then, at sight of his companion, his mouth tightened. He'd give something to measure that cur muscle for muscle, strength for strength, the sort to steal into a man's room at night and try to murder him. The detective planted an arm, brown and brawny and with a tattooed serpent winding its way round the strong wrist to the elbow, oh, wonderful make-up box, on the edge of the marble bar, and called loudly for a drink. His very voice was raw and husky with a tang of the sea in it. Dollop's nasal twang took up the story, while the barmaid, a red-headed fat woman with a coarse, hard face, who was continually smiling, looked them up and down, and having taken stock of them, set two pewter tankards of frothing ale before them, took the money from Cleek, bit it, and then, with a nod, dropped it into the till and came back for a chat. "'Strangers, ain't you?' she said pleasantly, leaning on the bar and grinning at them. "'Yes,' Cleek's voice was sharp, emphatic. "'Thought so. Seafaring, I take it?' "'Yes.' said Cleek again, and gulped down the rest of his ale, pushing the tankard toward her and nodding at it significantly. She sniffed and then laughed. "'Want another, eh? Ain't wasting many words, are you, matey? Who's the little un?' "'Meaning me?' said Dollops, bridling. "'None of your blarney here, miss. Me and my mate's been on a walking tour, up from Lunnon. Come up from Lunnon, we have.' "'You never did!' Admiration mingled with disbelief in the barmaid's voice. A little stir of interest went round the crowded, smoky room, and someone called out, "'Lunnon, have you? Been walking a bit, matey. What brought you down here? And what are sailor men doing in Lunnon, anyhow?' "'What most folks is doing nowadays, looking for a job!' replied Cleek, as he gulped down the second tankard and pushed it forward again to be replenished. "'Come from Southampton, we have. Got a pass up to London, cos a pal told us there'd be work at the factories. But there weren't no work. Gord's truth. What a sailor men wantin' with cloth-making and hammering tin pots. Them's the only jobs we was offered in London. I don't give a curse for the price.' "'Nah, Sammy and me, we says to each other,' he took another drink and wiped his mouth with the back of his hand. "'We says this ain't no place for us. We just come over from Jamaica.' "'Go on, travelling in foreign parts, was you?' This in admiration from the barmaid. "'And we ain't seeing ourselves turning into landlubbers in no such spot as that.' Pal told us there was a arbor down hereabouts, with a factory what a sailor man might get work at, and still hold his self-respect. So we walked here. What energy! 
black whiskers, as Dollops had called him, broke in at this juncture, his thin mouth opening in a grin that showed two rows of blackened teeth. Cleek twitched round sharply in his direction. Yeah, wasn't it? And funny enough, we've plenty more energy to come. But what the hell is this factory work here, anyhow? And any chance of a couple of men getting a bit of work to keep the blinking wolf from the door? Oh, tell us. A slight silence followed this, a silence in which man looked at man and then back again at the ginger-headed lady behind the bar. She raised her eyebrows and nodded, and then went off into little giggles that shook her plump figure. A big man at Cleek's left gave him the answer. "'Factory makes electric fittings and such like, and ships em abroad,' he said tersely. "'Appen you don't understand the business. Appen the master won't want you. Appen you'll have to move on, I'm a-thinking.' "'Ha-ha-happen <laughs> I won't!' retorted Cleek with a loud guffaw. "'Swelp me, you chaps! Ain't none of you a-going to lend a hand to a mate what's out of a job? What's a blooming mystery?' And where's the blooming boss? Better see him in the morning, supplemented Black Whiskers truculently. He's busy now. Works all night sometimes, he does. But there's a vacancy or two, I know, for factory hands. Been a bit of rioting and splitting of state secrets. But the fellows what did it are gone now. He laughed a trifle grimly. Won't never come troubling here again. Pretty strict, master is, but good work and good pay. And you can't ask for more, that's what I says, threw in Dollops in his shrill voice. Now Cleek, all this time, had been edging more and more in the direction of Borkins and his sinister companion, who were standing a little apart, but nevertheless were interested spectators of all that went on. Having at last obtained his object, he cast about for a subject of conversation, and picked the barmaid, whose rallies met with the approval of the entire company, and who was at that moment carrying on a spirited give-and-take conversation with the redoubtable Dollops. "'Bit of a sport, ain't she, Governor?' Cleek remarked to Borkins, with a jerk of his head in the woman's direction. The butler whirled round and fixed him with a stare of haughty indignation. "'Here, you keep your fingers off your betters,' he retorted angrily, for Cleek had dug a friendly elbow into his ribs. "'Oh, all right, no offence meant. Thought perhaps you was the boss by the look of you.' "'But doubtless you ain't nothing to do with the factory at all. "'Private gent, I take it.' "'Then you take it wrong,' retorted Borkins sharply. "'And I have something to do with the factory, if you wants to know. "'Like to show your good manners, I might be able to get you a job. "'And one for the little un as well. "'Though I don't care for Londoners, as a rule.' "'There's another of em up at the place where I lives. "'I'm Ed Butler to Sir Nigel Merriton of Merriton Towers, "'if you're anxious to know who I am.' "'His chest swelled visibly. 
In private, I dabbles a little in other things, and I've influence. You men can keep your mouth shut. Dumb as a blinking dog. Threw in Dollops, who was close by Cleek's side, and both men nodded vigorously. Well then, I'll see what I can do. Mind you, I don't promise nothing. I'll think it over. Better come to me tomorrow. Make it in the evening, for there's a hinquest up at the towers. My master's been caught for murdering his friend, and I'll have to be about then. I'll tomorrow evening suit. Cleek drew a long breath and put out his hand. Then, as if recalling the superior station of the man he addressed, withdrew it again and remarked, "You're a real gent, you are. Anyone know you was what they calls well connected? Tomorrow it is then. We'll be here and grateful for your help. What's this about a murder? Fight was it? I'm happy at that sort of thing myself." He squared up a moment and made a mock of boxing Dollops, which seemed to please the audience. "That's the stuff. That's the stuff, matey!" called out a raw-boned man who, up to the present, had remained silent. "You're the man for us, I says, and the little un too." "Reckon I can give you a taste of fighting that'll please you," remarked Borkins in a low voice. "Yes, Miner's right." You're the man for us. Good night, all. Time's up. I'm off. Good night. Chorused a score of voices, while the fat barmaid blew a kiss off the tips of her stubby fingers and called out after him, "Come again soon, dearie." Cleek looked at Dollops, and both realised the importance of getting back to the towers before the arrival of Borkins, in case that worthy should think. As was far from unlikely, of spying on their movements and checking up on Cleek's progress in letter writing, it was going to require some quick work. Well, Sammy, better be moving back to our shelter in roof and all the comforts of home," began Cleek almost at once, and gulping down the last of his fourth tankard and slouching over to the doorway. A chorus of voices stopped him. Where are you sleeping? Under the haystack, bow off a mile from here," replied Cleek glibly and at a venture. The barmaid's brows knitted into a frown. "Haystack," she repeated. "There ain't no haystack along this road from here to Fetchworth. Bit off the track, ain't yer?" Cleek retrieved himself at once. Ain't there? Well, what if there ain't? The place what I calls a haystack and what Lunnoners calls a haystack too is the nearest bit of shelter what comes your way. Manner of speaking, that's all. Oh, then I reckon you means the barn about a quarter of a mile up the road toward the village. The barmaid smiled again. That's it. Good night. Good night. Chorused the hoarse voices. The night outside was as black as a pocket. Better cut along by the fields, Dollops," whispered Cleek as they took to their heels up the rough road. "Got to pass him. This mist will help us. 
That was a near shave about the haystack. I nearly tripped us up there. Awful creature, that woman. <laughs> Looks like a jellyfish come loose, threw in Dollops with a snort. There's old Borkins, sir, straight ahead. Here, in through this gap in this edge, and then across the field by the side of him. Weren't such a rough night after all, was it, sir? Cleek sighed. One might almost have thought that he regretted the fact. No, Dollops, he said softly. It was the calmest night of its kind I've ever experienced. But we've gleaned something from it. But what the devil has Borkins got to do with this factory? Whatever it is, he's in it right up to the neck, and we'll have to dig around him pretty carefully. You'll help me, Dollops, won't you? Can't do without you, you know. Always, sir, always, breathed Dollops in a husky whisper. Where you goes, I'm hiking along by your side. You ain't ever going to get rid of me. Good lad. And they redoubled their pace. End of chapter 19